Soulmate, so much to discuss with you as always on this Tuesday, January 31st. We want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. I am Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. We are honored to stand behind this desk each day to take you on a journey across black America and the stories that impact our people. We're dedicated to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's tap into today's uh, top story. Of course, in Memphis, two fire department emergency medical workers and a driver have now been fired following the death of Tyree Nichols. They joined the five Memphis police officers who have been charged with second degree murder. The EMTs were called to the scene due to a quote person pepper sprayed call, but officials say instead of rendering aid, they failed to quote conduct an adequate patient assessment of Nichols. The fire chief says it was not a difficult decision to make sense. They all violated multiple department policies and protocols. Meanwhile, two more Memphis police officers are now under investigation after the deadly beating of Tyree Nichols. Police on Monday named one of the two officers, Preston Hemphill, who is white, and said he's been on administrative leave since the beginning of the investigation. Memphis police spokesperson Kimberly Elder declined to say whether Hemphill is being paid. Hemphill has not been charged. He was never present at the second scene that escalated to the beating, and Hemphill has been cooperating with the investigation. Legal experts say that over time, there could be more charges coming in the case. And that Tyree Nichols video is reviving urgent calls for Congress to pass a police reform law. Now, the Congressional Black Caucus is requesting a meeting with President Biden to push for negotiations on federal police reform. Back in 2021, the House passed the George Floyd Justice uh, Act, uh, Policing Act, that is. But the bill stalled in the Senate after bipartisan negotiations led in part by Senators Tim Scott and Cory Booker fell apart. As the world continues to react to the tragedy of Tyree Nichols, a GoFundMe page started by Nichols' mother has surpassed $1.2 million. The page was launched just three days ago by Nichols' mother, Rovan Wells. She says that she created the page to raise money for mental health services for the Nichols family and to build a skate park in her son's memory. She wrote on the page, quotes, my baby was just trying to make it home to be safe in my arms. Tyree was unarmed, non-threatening and respectful to police during the entire encounter. And, you know, Courtney, this is uh, just a heartbreaking sign mm -hmm. of the times. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not even a, a full month uh, into the new year. Uh, and we've seen so many of these GoFundMe accounts being set up. I'm thinking back to the GoFundMe account that was set up by the family of uh, Keenan Anderson uh, in Los Angeles mm -hmm. and too many more to count. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the details, the horrifying uh, details, uh, the backstories uh, just keep coming by way of family members, uh, you know, and his mother. And when, you know, as people continue to view uh, the video and you put piece by piece together and just the cries and the pleading and and the fact that that he was, you know, uh, fleeing, you know, you could really come to the conclusion that that he was fleeing for his life and he felt threatened and he was headed home only 80 yards uh, from his home home. He was trying to get home, I agree, uh, to the safety uh, of his mother and the safety of homes. Uh, and they're just, uh, you know, putting out reports now that the Floyd family uh, will be attending uh, Tyree uh, Nichols uh, funeral services that I do believe are being uh, held tomorrow just in support and those two families, uh, you know, coming together, you know, in an effort to, to bring about this awareness, to push through legislation. I know the Nichols family has been uh, invited to come to uh, D.C. to sit down with President Biden to further along these policies uh, that we're hoping uh, will um, cure, if you will, uh, situations, address and cure and bring it into situations uh, like this. But like you said, those details that just keep coming out uh, just make a, a heartbreaking situation 
even more heartbreaking, if you will. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and somebody who knows a whole lot about heartbreak, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton mm -hmm. has been asked to uh, eulogize Tyree Nichols. Uh, I'm thinking back to the eulogy of George Floyd, yeah. uh, where uh, Reverend Sharpton also performed that, and so uh, we'll continue to keep our eye on this developing story. Yes, he will, so we will. A former Louisville police officer blamed for instigating a deadly shooting during the 2020 protests over the death of Breonna Taylor will not serve time in prison. 30-year-old Katie R. Cruz pleaded guilty last year to one count of using excessive force during a curfew crackdown in 2020 that ended with the fatal shooting of restaurant owner David McAtee. Uh, the judge over the case called Cruz's actions incredibly dangerous and doubled her one-year recommended probation period to two years. The judge said he was reluctant to allow Cruz to avoid prison time, but was told that the family's victim had given their blessing to the recommended sentence. The parents of a nine-month-old baby who died while under the care of a Florida center has reached a settlement in their case. Little Tavon Tomlin was found unresponsive at Lincoln Marty Daycare Center in Miami. Tavon's parents, Kira Worley and Devontae Tomlin, filed a lawsuit over his death, accusing Lincoln Marty of, quote, incompetence, poor training, and inadequate staffing. According to court papers, the center admitted to knowingly violating Florida laws. Meanwhile, his parents are still seeking answers on what exactly happened. They had to drop the lawsuit as part of the $5 million settlement. However, the parents say that they wish there would be a reform on daycare center protocols to prevent it from happening again. Oh my goodness, just a tragic story there. To uh, St. Louis now, where the city will pay nearly $5.2 million to settle claims by people who, are, who were arrested during a protest back in 2017 over the acquittal of a police officer in the shooting death of a black man. Now, according to a proposed class action settlement filed last week, the city agreed to pay $4.91 million or about $58,000 $1,500 per person to 84 people who were protesting in downtown St. Louis. The lawsuit claimed the protesters' rights were violated when they were caught in a what they call a police kettle as officers surrounded and arrested everyone in the area. Three people who filed individual lawsuits settled from $85,000 each. The city denied any wrongdoing as a part of that settlement, and the settlement proposal must now be approved by a judge. The state of Louisiana is making headlines after corrections officials are now on notice from federal authorities for unconstitutionally keeping inmates behind bars past their sentences. According to federal prosecutors, Louisiana Department of Corrections has been on notice about chronic overdetentions for more than a decade, but has failed to correct the problem. Louisiana residents are paying the cost for overdetentions. According to the Department of Justice, the corrections facility had to pay parish jails at least $850,000 in fees for over-detaining inmates in the first four months of 2022. Now, each year, over-detentions amounted to more than $2.5 million. The New York Times reported last year that about 200 inmates in Louisiana were held beyond their sentences each month. And the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, is calling out new legislation that he says resembles apartheid. Chokwe Lamumba says that the new court system that would be run by unelected judges is racially motivated and would impact the city of Jackson the most. The proposal for this new court system comes from legislators who live outside of the 80 percent black city. In addition to the proposal for a new court system, Lumumba also criticized a bill that would transfer ownership of Jackson's water system to a new public entity overseen by a nine-member board, the majority of which would be appointed by state leaders. Here in Detroit, the city's mayor, Mike Duggan, is unveiling a plan to get more Detroiters back to work. It's a program getting people trained for better jobs. The mayor saying the best way to use the funding from the American Rescue Act is by investing in the people of Detroit. Fox 2's Dave Kinchin shows us what it's all about. That was a big deal. That was one of the proudest moments to walk across stage with my kids in the audience. So thank you.
Octavia fighting back tears while opening up about difficult moments in her life in a packed meeting on job training and access hosted by Mayor Mike Duggan at the Coleman A. Young Municipal Center. I dropped out of high school in 2004. I wound up getting pregnant. I went to Redford High School. On top of being pregnant, my daughter's father got killed. So it was hard. I made many attempts to go back to school and just didn't do it. Until getting connected with the city's Learn to Earn program, working her way to a diploma and a job. She's one of many endorsing the mayor's announcement of a $100 million scholarship program to get more Detroit residents ready for and connected to more jobs. We wanted to have a city where every person who wanted to get a good paying job could get one and the jobs in Detroit went to Detroiters. The initiative backed by President Biden's American Rescue Plan will pay residents to study and train for the work they want. In fact, the mayor says right now there are about 9,000 jobs up for grabs across the city and half of them do not require a college degree. Some programs pay 10 bucks an hour to learn basic reading and math skills and or get a high school diploma or GED. You can start, you can start this month this and make $200 a week, a week learning to read. Some of the training even allows city residents to earn $15 an hour for three days of on-site work and two days of in-classroom training per week to get qualified for careers ranging from healthcare, IT, the skilled trades, trucking, and more. But there were some residents in this meeting who say this plan sounds great and all, but so far they've been left behind by the city. In fact, one woman told the mayor that directly pouring her heart out. I have a great nephew that has been applying for these jobs for six months. And the man never emailed back. My nephew graduated from high school. He can read poorly. The mayor took the heat, but promised a quick fix. So here's what we're gonna do. He's not gonna have to come to us. Tomorrow, we're gonna go out and see him. DetroitAtWork.com is the website with information on this program. We'll link to it on our website, Fox2Detroit.com. The mayor and administration, they say right now city unemployment is under 7%. They believe this investment, this program, can drive that down even further. Outside the city county building in downtown Detroit, Dave Kinchin, Fox 2 News. Our thanks to Dave Kinchin for that report. Uh, you know, this is an example of federal policy that actually makes a material difference in the mm -hmm. lives of everyday people. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that the mayor of Detroit uh, was very clear in, in, in the choice to invest in people, mm -hmm. right? You know, we can invest in infrastructure uh, over the long run uh, that will benefit our communities, but investing in people, mm -hmm. uh, that helps right now, that creates relief right now. Um, and it makes me think back to, you know, when my first jobs out of college was working as uh, a field deputy to an LA school board member. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the time, I remember it was considered cutting edge, this idea of concurrent enrollment, this idea of being able to get your your certification in a trade uh, and uh, your high school diploma um, so that you know students graduated with as many options as possible and so it's good to see uh, folks like the mayor investing in programs like that. Yeah, I was go I was going to mention that uh, trade schools. I think that was the, one of the biggest mistakes, uh, you know, in in the world. I, you know, I have you know girlfriends who, you know, came out with cosmetology degrees coming out of high school. Friends who came out with with degrees in in in, in heating or training rather in heating and cooling, or were well on their way to maybe graduate to a apprenticeship program with having that training right there in high school because you know higher education you know, going in college just isn't for everybody. And we need folks to fill those jobs uh, as well. And for cities like Detroit, where we've always been a blue collar industrial town, that is just not the, the lifestyle anymore. It's just not an option anymore. The big three are not hiring like they used to. That used to be a solid way to, you know, make a good living coming out of high school, you know, throwing a little overtime. You were doing well, really, really well. That just isn't the case anymore. So, you know, I, I think go back to, to even prior to these programs and put these trade schools back in high schools so these young people have more of an option and more training as they graduate. I mean, I think you make a brilliant point, Courtney, that really um, it's about college and career.
four-year training, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so not everybody's going to go off to a four-year college or university, and if so, maybe not right away. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. having these sorts of career training uh, that have made a difference in places like Detroit, places here in the middle in the Midwest, mm -hmm. uh, can make a difference yet again. And so uh, big ups to yeah. the mayor of Detroit and, and everybody that had a hand in making this fund available to Detroiters. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to make a big difference. I believe so. Yeah. Still ahead, over 1,000 flights canceled overnight. Crazy what this means for travelers like yourself and what's been done to fix this problem. That more when we uh, come back. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Flight cancellations mounted earlier today as an Arctic cold front spans from central Texas to the East Coast this week. Oh, yeah. More than 1,200 U.S. flights were canceled around 11 a.m. Eastern time today. With more than 1,800 more delayed, American Airlines saw the most cancellations, scrapping around 421 flights or about 14 percent of its schedule. Now, according to the National Weather Service advisory, wind advisories were in effect in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and other states across the Midwest and Plains until this morning with wind chills dropping to 30 degrees below zero in some places, my gosh. While the Department of Transportation requires airlines to issue refunds to travelers whose flights are canceled, airlines also begin issuing waivers as the winter weather has rolled in. Staying with travel issues for a moment, an entire high school basketball team from Seattle, Washington, ended up stranded in Las Vegas for five days over Christmas after Southwest Airlines canceled their flight and left them scrambling to get home, spending thousands of dollars and eventually driving 18 hours on a bus through the snow. U.S. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has said airlines were required to issue refunds, quotes, within seven business days if a passenger paid by credit card and within 20 days if a passenger paid by cash, check or other means. He also called on them to cover ground transportation, hotels and meals for stranded passengers. As of Friday, the team had been partially refunded for the canceled flights but was still waiting on the full amount. Well, let's get them their money. There's a new survey, speaking of money, uh, that found that nearly two-thirds of Americans report living paycheck to paycheck, which is an increase from last year. Now, the report found that uh, the number is about $9.3 million more than the previous year and includes about 8 million people making more than $100,000 per year. Now, the research also found that four out of five consumers expect their personal finances to improve the next year, which is up 7 percent points from July 22. About one third think that their personal finances will stay the same and 27 percent believe their situations will get worse. About 75 percent of those who think their finances will worsen said inflation was the top reason and about one third cited economic uncertainty. And, you know, I think everybody has, and if, if not, you know, presently has had situations where you're living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. I've been in the broadcast industry for almost well, just about 30 years. And sometimes that can be volatile. You sign a contract. They don't want to renew you. You're looking for a job. You're in, you know, you're, you're, you're traveling and moving from city to city. So I have definitely, you know, felt it. I'm thanking God that I'm in a situation now where it's pretty stable and you get married to somebody who, you know, <laughs> does well. That helps a lot. But seriously, though, that is the reality of a lot of Americans. And, I, and I've heard, you know, this this thing, uh, this situation, this circumstance be addressed from, um, you know, election to election. And I just don't know, you know, from the promises and the policies, I just don't know if people, you know, are, are feeling any better about their situation or if their situation is getting better. It is just difficult to save with everyday, you know, life. You've got groceries, you've got uh, uh, child care, you've got transportation. It is tough to really put something away. I, I think the I think the the constant fight with inflation mm -hmm. has really thrown a lot of people for a loop. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of folks weren't expecting home prices and the price of, of goods and services, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to go up so dramatically, mm -hmm. um, uh, so quickly. Yeah. 
Uh, and so I think that's part of what we're having to contend with. Also, um, I remember, you know, before the 2020 election, I think there was a study that came out that showed that there was a large number of Americans that were like $400 away, mm-hmm. you know, from a major financial situation, right. right? And so that was, you know, just a few years ago, right mm-hmm. before the 2020 election. Um, and so you've got to believe that those folks are being um, impacted right. by the current uh, uh, financial uh, challenges that mm-hmm. not just our country's experiencing, mm-hmm. but folks around the world. You mm-hmm. know, inflation doesn't just affect Americans, it affects people yeah. all over the world. And, and you know, believe it or not, you know, we've actually managed inflation a lot better than mm-hmm. a lot of uh, our, our uh, foreign countries uh, around the world. And so, um, you know, that's no relief mm-hmm. to people that are struggling to make ends meet now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, uh, uh, really, you know, it's about connecting folks to uh, economic opportunity. It's about financial literacy, you know, and it's about, you know, our elected leaders doing everything they can to get this inflation um, under control eventually. Agree. Uh, well, moving along, speaking of uh, federal uh, officials, a federal judge has ruled against black firefighters who sued Jacksonville for grooming standards that could help them manage a common skin problem. Uh, they've lost their case. U.S. Senior District Judge Harvey Schlesinger wrote, quotes, at issue is whether the city discriminated against plaintiffs when it required firefighters with PFB, which primarily affects African-American men, to be clean-shaven. In a 17-page order reviewing the case, the judge concluded that the plaintiffs were asking for something that would violate rules of the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration. 30 firefighters initially sued, saying they should be allowed to have close trim beards that would be close enough to avoid skin inflammation but wouldn't harm the fit of oxygen masks their jobs require in emergency settings. And the Biden administration is now winding down the treatment of COVID-19 as an emergency restructuring and how the federal government will respond to the pandemic that is entering its fourth year. The administration plans to end both the national emergency and the public health emergency on May 11th. The announcement came in a message to Congress about measures uh, House Republicans are considering this week to end those emergency declarations immediately in a massive spending bill passed back in December. Democrats and Republicans agreed to allow states to kick people off Medicaid beginning in May when the public health emergency ends. People without insurance will have to pay for vaccines, tests, and treatment on their own. Those with private insurance could have some out-of-pocket costs as well. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy believes 13-year-old, 13-year-olds are just too early to join social media. Murthy believes this may result in adolescents having a, quote, distorted sense of who they are throughout critical development years, and he's not alone. According to the co-author of a UNC Chapel Hill study conducted on nearly 180 12-year-olds to determine how often they check social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat, checking behavior on social media in early adolescence may tune the brain's sensitivity to potential social rewards and punishments. Medical professionals are quite concerned about teenagers' use of social media because of studies that show a connection between social media and youth depression. And staying with the young folks uh, for a moment now, according to a state audit released this week in Baton Rouge, black students are more than likely, uh, are more than five times as likely to attend a D minus or F minus rated public school uh, as are white students. Now the report says A rated schools have 65.9% white students and 20.3% black students. D minus rated schools are 19.1% white students and 65.7% black students and F minus rated schools are 9% white students and 82, uh, 80.2% black children. Now the review focused on trends in traditional public schools as well as private and charter schools. And and we have our resident educator here with us, Dr. Nicordelai Corte. First of all, I was reading over this and 
what, an, what is an F minus? I thought once you got to an F, it couldn't get any worse than that. So what this tells me is those schools are in maybe what complete disarray. Well, I've never received one, nor oh have I goodness. given one to a student in mm -hmm. F minus. Um, I don't think I've ever given an F before, mm -hmm. but uh, this should be a call to action mm -hmm. to uh, elected officials and to leaders in Baton Rouge and across Louisiana. Um, but let's be clear, what's happening in Louisiana is not just unique to them. We see examples of this in, in too many places across the country. Mm -hmm. um, and let's also not forget the connection between these failing schools, and I say failing schools because, you know, it's adults, it's the system that's failing these kids. It's not just these students receiving an F. The F is a symptom mm -hmm. of us, you know, failing them. Uh, but not only is that the issue, but if we're sending kids to schools, if we're tracking black kids into schools that, that don't have the quality, that don't have the support and mm -hmm. services that they need to succeed, you know, what does that mean in terms of their economic mobility? What does it, what does it, what does it mean in terms of their, their job prospects you know chances are you know they're going to end up being you know a part of the group of folks that mm -hmm. uh, are finding it trouble to to find and keep keep a job a good job the kind of job that's going to keep up with the high cost of living that so many people in our communities are experiencing right now mm -hmm. and look I believe it comes down to um, the dollar and and the, the districting and or the redistricting you know you 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 go to school over here you go to school over there and the only time there's some sort of kind of give is maybe when a black student can contribute to maybe the sports program and you know just let, let's call a spade a spade so I, I think it's down to the dollars I think there is a, a, a huge uh, lack of funding and you know then also as a community as a village as parents we also have to step up and demand better for our young people you're right. Yeah. Uh, coming up, an apology coming from one HBCU following a scholarship they recently offered a player. Plus, the first black-owned McDonald's is back. We'll hmm. tell you all about them when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome you back, Soulmates. And if you happen to just be joining us, we're going to take it back to today's top headlines. Uh, two fire department emergency medical workers and a driver have now been fired following the beating death of Tyree Nichols. They joined the five Memphis police officers who have been charged with second degree murder. The EMTs were called out to the scene due to a person uh, pepper sprayed. But officials say instead of rendering aid, they failed to, quote, conduct an adequate patient assessment of Nichols. The fire chief says it was not a difficult decision to make since they all violated multiple department policies and protocols. Meanwhile, two more Memphis police officers are now under investigation after the deadly beating of Tyree Nichols. Police on Monday named one of the two officers, Preston Hemphill, who is white, and said he has been on administrative leave since the beginning of the investigation. Memphis police spokesperson Kimberly Elder declined to say whether Hemphill Hill uh, is being paid. Uh, he has not been charged, though, and he was never present at the second scene that escalated to the beating. And Hemphill has been cooperating with the investigation. Legal experts uh, say that over time there could be more charges coming in this case. And a former Louisville police officer blamed for instigating a deadly shooting during the 2020 protests over the death of Breonna Taylor will not serve prison time. 30-year-old Katie R. Cruz pleaded guilty last year to one count of using excessive force during a curfew crackdown in 2020 that ended with the fatal shooting of restaurant owner David McAtee. The judge over the case called Cruz's actions incredibly dangerous and doubled her one-year recommended probation period to two years. The judge says he was reluctant to allow Cruz to avoid prison time, but was told that the victim's family 
family had given their blessing to the recommended sentence. And lastly, to St. Louis, where that city will pay nearly $5.2 million to settle claims by people who were arrested during a protest in 2017 over the acquittal of a police officer in the shooting death of a black man. Now, according to a proposed class action settlement filed last week, the city agreed to pay $4.91 million, that's about $58,500 per person, to 84 people who were protesting in downtown St. Louis. The lawsuit claimed the protesters' rights were violated when they were caught in what you call a police kettle. That's when officers surrounded and then arrested everyone in that particular area. Now, three people who filed individual lawsuits settled uh, from $85,000 each. Now, the city denied any wrongdoing as a part of that settlement. Uh, that settlement still uh, has to be approved by a judge. The quarter lie back to you. Thanks, Courtney. Now off to Pennsylvania, where, where former Penn State professor Errol Henderson has settled a federal lawsuit that alleged racial discrimination from the PWI. Henderson, who is the first black tenured professor in Penn State's political science department, took aim at what he calls the university's, quote, embarrassing lack of diversity within the department, faculty, and its students. The longtime professor authored an op-ed titled Being Black at Penn State that was published by the Daily Collegian, the student newspaper, in 2019. He was disciplined after the university found he repeatedly named specific members of the department during faculty meetings when he raised issues of perceived racist actions. After a long battle, Henderson left the university effective December 31st to, quote, pursue other opportunities. University spokeswoman Lisa Powers wrote in an email, terms of the settlement between Professor Henderson and the university were not released. And in the latest developments in denying black history as American history, Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye has been pulled from high school libraries in Florida County. The book is an award-winning novel about a black girl who grew up after the Great Depression and part of a body of work that won Morrison the Nobel Peace Prize for Literature back in 1993. Florida Board Chairperson Lisa Kane said, until the state changes the law, we're going to continue to struggle with these types of decisions. And I can, I can feel the heat. I can feel the heat <laughs> next to my, my partner here, standing next to my partner. First of all, I know that from personal conversation and conversations here at the news desk, you absolutely adore uh, Toni Morrison and her body of work. And then you've been heated from day one ever since, you know, there's been this argument about our history and the denial of it being a, a part of curriculums across the country. My argument is, I, you know, the argument that our history is somehow being denied as being a part of American history. I think our history might be a little intimidating because, you know, if, 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 if we really, really take a deep dive and, and really remember and circle back around to what we've always been as a culture, which are great, um, you know, um, innovative, smart, savvy uh, people, I think that that energy that would come from that, that pride that uh, would, would maybe be threatening to others. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it, you know, our history is definitely American history and I'm just not quite understanding the pushback. I think it might be some kind of threat. Well, I mean, this is really about erasure. Mm -hmm. This is about erasing the contributions of uh, luminaries like Toni Morrison, mm -hmm. like James Baldwin, you know, uh, the contributions of, of artists and authors and leaders mm -hmm. across industries. And, um, you know, this should not just infuriate uh, black Americans, but this should infuriate, to your point, all Americans, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's, it's the body of work of people like Toni Morrison, you know, that have given us language. Uh, to use to describe our history, to talk about our experiences, to, um, you know, celebrate one another. You know, one of the things that Toni Morrison said when she was living, you know, is that, uh, you know, when 
you know, you go into a bookstore and, you know, you can't quite find a book that you relate to, then maybe it's time for you to write that story, mm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's certainly what, what she did throughout her life and career. Um, and, and to see folks sort of politicize this and make an effort to erase her from the history books. I mean, I just think about being an honors English student in mm -hmm. high school mm -hmm. and, you know, what a gift it was to be able to, to learn about uh, Toni Morrison and more importantly to, to read her work mm -hmm. you know and and to, to to learn about those characters you know and to interrogate some of the questions that are a part of all of our history and so um, this this is not the latest book I'm yeah. sure there will be more but encourage people to teach black history wherever you are to read banned books Right. And uh, and don't be afraid, because I think that's what these efforts are intending to do is make people afraid. And we can't be afraid uh, of our history and to celebrate our people. Moving along, uh, you can now add one more gymnastics team to the HBCU roster. This summer, Talladega College in Alabama will launch a women's gymnastics team joining Fisk University as the only two HBCUs in the nation with gymnastics programs. The formation of the Talladega team came with the help of Brown Girls Do Gymnastics. An advocacy group that supports athletes from black and brown communities that help start Fisk's program. And the nation's first black owned McDonald's franchise is set to return just in time for Black History Month. The Chicago location opened its doors back in 1968 following the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. while protests erupted across the city. Now the restaurant was initially franchised by Herman Petty, a Chicago uh, change agent who passed away back in 2009. Now Yolanda Travis is carrying on the legacy as a new owner and operator of the McDonald's located at 65th and Stony Island in Chicago's Woodlawn neighborhood. I'm very familiar with the area. Now the updated McDonald's will offer modernized food ordering technology and a polished new look. I'm excited about that. Well, the folks at Albany State weren't so excited about this. That's why uh, Albany State <laughs> University head football coach Quinn Gray Sr. is apologizing for recruiting Marcus Stokes, the white football player who used the N-word. You remember him? Mm. Yeah, Stokes was originally dropped from the University of Florida after a video surfaced of him using the N-word while singing along to a hip-hop song. He issued an apology but lost his scholarship. Last week, Stokes revealed that he was recruited to play at Albany State University for the Golden Rams. After some backlash, the HBCU has changed its mind. In a release statement, Coach Gray explained, quote, I was trying to help a student get back in competition. And in my haste, I did not consider the impact the decision would have on all of you. Ooh. Now, Courtney, remember we, we brought the story to our soulmates last week. This is an update mm -hmm. uh, to that story. We had a little bit of a banter about that, mm -hmm. and we had different theories as to what this was all about. Yeah. Uh, but uh, apparently uh, the higher-ups at that HBCU and the students yeah. weren't having it. And just a, a little, you know, backstory: This young man uh, was offered a Division I uh, scholarship, which tells me he was pretty decent as a quarterback. Uh, I don't know if it was Twitter or Snapchat or whatever, but he was mouthing the lyrics uh, to a song that included the N-word, uh, which brought about the debate, you know, you know, since he didn't, you know, use it at someone of color, it was a part of, you know, a song. We've, we've talked about hip hop and, and rap music and lyrics. And, you know, if they're recited by someone outside of the culture, is it a, offensive? I know maybe sometimes the younger generation don't, uh, you know, view or see the, the N-word as such an issue as maybe older generations have. So there's that. But he did, uh, you know, get that scholarship snatched because, you know, I, I think the way it's just traditionally looked at, you just can't use it. And uh, this HBU said, oh, yeah, well, we'll take them. And uh, then I think they thought about it. And uh, here's where we are with this particular story. I kind of thought it was a bad idea, just aesthetically. It just didn't look too well. And so uh, somebody woke up, smelled the coffee, and realized that it wasn't a good look from jump uh, to offer him 
you know, this scholarship. But I hear that he's got another scholarship, uh, you know, offer on the table as well. So I, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I, I lesson learned, maybe. I, lesson learned for a lot of a folks, lot of in, including uh, uh, the coach over at, over at Albany State, mm -hmm. um, you know, who probably just got ahead of administration and mm -hmm. got ahead of the student body. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you need to really socialize, you know, mm -hmm. before you go public offering people things. Yeah. And and so uh, hopefully the coach uh, learned his lesson there. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure uh, this young man uh, will eventually be okay. I'm sure he'll be just you know, fine. Uh, you know, everybody uh, should have a chance at redemption, and that's especially if they understand yeah. what they did. And ba big ups to everybody on 65th and Stony Island in the shy. Southside, baby. Woodline. All big right, ups all to right, South Side. That's, that's a good look. Up next, major <laughs> charges are being dropped against R. Kelly. Speaking of Chicago, plus a biopic is in the works. We'll tell you from whom and who will be playing the iconic music star when we return. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. R&B singer R. Kelly's sex abuse charges dropped in Cook County. Cook County State Attorney Kim Fox announced that she will ask a judge to dismiss the indictments ahead of a hearing. Yeah, Kelly was convicted of several crimes, including child pornography and sex trafficking in federal court in Chicago and New York, and will serve a 30-year sentence in New York, but Kelly is appealing. Now, Fox recognizes the decision to drop sex abuse charges against R. Kelly may be disappointing to his accusers and applauds their bravery in coming forward. A case is still pending in Minnesota where Kelly faces solicitation charges. Jussie Smollett's legal team seeks extension to file an 80-page appeal brief in the court reviewing the actor's conviction for faking a hate crime in Cook County. The court usually permits 50 pages, but Smollett's attorney says the circumstances of the case require more. The special prosecutor objects to the lengthy brief, saying it's only relevant to the case that led to Smollett's conviction. Smollett was sentenced to five months in jail and has served six days. No ruling has been made on his request for more time or to file or the file of the oversized brief. I thought this went away. I thought after he was, you know, came on back like a boomerang. It sure has. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, quite understanding what, you know, the the finishing business is. But um, I, I gotta, you know, I, I just, you know, something out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And so I was, uh, you know, surprised to kind of see this thing coming back around. Uh, you know, into the uh, headlines, another, you know, Chicago-based story, as is, of course, um, uh, the R. Kelly situation. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about how he has faced so much and continues to face so much at some point, how how much further under the prison can you, you right. put him? But if he deserves to be there, he he deserves yeah. to be there. But R. Kelly is already like, under the jail. Yeah, it's like, he my ain't coming goodness. out of the jail, not he, in this lifetime, just, not yeah. in the next lifetime, yeah. right? You know, but with Jesse Smollett, you know, I, I, I wonder if there was evidence that maybe wasn't admitted, that wasn't a part mm -hmm. of, of the case, mm -hmm. and maybe that accounts for why this brief brief is so so lengthy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, I don't know, but you know, it seemed like you know he was convicted, he did his time, you know, and maybe he was trying to turn the page a little bit. And so you're right, it kind of feels but, like. But my concern, you is know, we've the, returned back to this yeah, in the headlines, and it's the it's the time and the money around something that, you know, was a hoax from jump and, and we went through that whole thing, but it's it's the continued time and money and folks that could be working on other briefings and things of that nature that I'm really concerned with. So, I mean, it sounds like something legit or, or else maybe the briefings wouldn't be taking place, but it's the time and the money and the effort to whereas could this be, you know, placed somewhere else as far as, you know, other issues and cases and briefings that need to be addressed that are on the docket. That's my only concern with this popping back up Just in the feels news. a little strange. Yeah, like, hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, Gap Partners with the Brooklyn Circus to celebrate black culture and history. And the campaign features black musicians and artists, including late uh, Ellen DeGeneres show DJ Stephen Twitch Boss. In honor of Boss, Gap supports the 988 suicide uh, number and crisis lifeline by donating to vibrant emotional health. The campaign also stars India Moore, Javon Walton, uh, Bethan Hardison, and more. Boss's wife, Allison Holker, 
uh, boss says the campaign captures her husband's true essence and pays tribute to his life. Speaking of tributes to folks' lives, Lionsgate has big news for fans of Michael Jackson. The entertainment company announces MJ's 26-year-old nephew, Jafar Jackson, will play the king of pop in the biopic Michael, directed by Antoine Fuqua. It will also be produced by Oscar-winning Bohemian Rhapsody producer Graham King, and the film will mark Jackson's acting debut. King said Jackson was chosen for his ability to embody Michael's spirit and personality. Fuqua also praised Jackson's natural ability and chemistry with the camera. The film will be an authorized portrait of Michael with cooperation from his estate and script by Gladiator and the Aviator screenwriter John Logan. Shooting will begin this year. Ooh, they got some heavyweights working behind the scenes. I'm hoping that little nephew can come with it. It's a that's a heavy task. That's a tall Especially order. For, for this to be your first time, you know, in front of the camera to portray Unc. Uh, you know, I'm hoping, you know, only the best because, uh, you know, people are really kind of hard on these biopics. I know uh, the latest Whitney Houston one is kind of like, uh, because, you know, they, they felt like the, the young lady didn't physically look enough like Whitney to really get into it. I mean, those were some of the, the critiques uh, very early on. I haven't seen it yet. I understand that she's done a great job and that these producers and, and EPs are trying to find uh, talent that can really embody uh, and help tell the story more so than, than, than the physical uh, mm -hmm. and the aesthetic look. However, when, when that actor can, can look like that, that uh, uh, figure, that iconic figure, it really does help if you take a look at the Elvis uh, uh, movie and how he just looks like Elvis and a couple of other uh, artists who've been able to, to really do the same. So it helps when I think the actress or actor looks like the actual uh, icon. I think I think it does, but I think we also need to pay attention to the, their ability to capture the essence mm -hmm. uh, of the icon. Mm -hmm. I think that was the case in the I Want to Dance with Somebody, mm -hmm. uh, Whitney Houston uh, film, where she captured the essence of mm -hmm. Whitney, even though she didn't quite look exactly like her, uh, but you know, that's, a, that's another Let's tall order there. <laughs> but I wonder if, if one of the terms and conditions mm -hmm. of this authorized Michael Jackson biopic was mm -hmm. that, you know, a member of the family had mm -hmm. to be uh, prominently included uh, in it. Um, you know, because you don't hear very often about, you know, folks who have never acted before mm -hmm. in front of the camera. You mm -hmm. never, you don't hear a lot of stories of them being cast as the star of a biopic this big and so uh, big shoes to yeah. not just fill but to moonwalk in. Yeah, it sounds like uh, he's he's the pick. He was the best pick. So we'll see about it. I'm excited for him. All right. Seven time NBA champion Robert Horry was ejected from his son's high school basketball game after shouting at a ref. Take a look. Yikes. Uh, yeah, they, they, they escorted him from the gym. Uh, but as he uh, was out of there, he hugged his son's coach and left. Horry later tweeted about his passion for basketball and admitted his emotions got the best of him. He also emphasized the importance of respecting the game and all those involved. Horry retired back in 2008 after 15 years in the league and seven championship wins with three teams. All right, Soulmates, Rihanna's trademark Fenty Kids brand for children's clothing. Uh, yep, it may be coming to a store near you. The trademark includes clothes, swimwear, footwear, baby bibs, sleepwear, and more. Rihanna hinted uh, a baby line in November in an interview with Vogue saying, quotes, I would have so much fun with that. She recently dropped Savage by Fenty Game Day Collection ahead of Super Bowl, a Super Bowl performance. Uh, Rihanna will headline the Apple Music Super Bowl 57 halftime show on February 12th in Glendale, Arizona. Yep, and she's about to make a whole nother glue glob worth <laughs> of money. I mean, she is working it, merchandising. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if an album drops 
two minutes after the uh, Super Bowl performance. I mean, it's it's all calculated in a wonderful way because folks have been craving uh, Rihanna. She's been giving it to us the past few years with you know relationships and babies and the and the and the Fenty line. But folks have been wanting performances and music, and I just think that this 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 agreement to do the Super Bowl, it, there's a lot more to it. It's loaded. There's a lot more to it. I wouldn't be surprised if an album drops soon yeah. thereafter. I wouldn't be surprised either mm-hmm. if, it, if an album drops, and I also wouldn't be surprised if the album featured a solo uh, from her little one, too. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but what I really appreciate about Rihanna mm-hmm. is that she is an artist through and through, right? She's not just a music artist, folks, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, the, the whole skincare line and makeup line and the Savage by Fenty, I, I see all of those as demonstrations of her art. And it's great to see, you know, black women uh, being celebrated uh, for that and uh, reaching billionaire status doing that. It's 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 it uh, it's the best uh, uh, that we like to see. Yeah, uh, it's black excellence. I was going to say top tier black excellence in the making. That's right. And we've got more of that coming up. That's right. Up next, Black Excellence uh, right here on The Black Report. How one black student is advancing sign language here in the country. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Another black entrepreneur makes history by opening her first flagship retail store. That's right. Sharice Jones is the founder and CEO of Sassy Jones. <laughs> Don't you like that? I like yes. it. Sassy Jones. <laughs> it's the nation's fastest growing black owned privately held retailer. What began as a part time jewelry business has turned into an $80 million wow. company. She launched the brand in her minivan hmm. where she drove cross country to various trade shows. Jones is now a multi-million dollar enterprise. It designs unique jewelry, ready to wear women's clothes, beauty, and accessories. Sassy Jones. <laughs> Along with opening the first flagship retail store, the brand has three warehouses, employing a team of over 40 employees and has amassed national recognition, including ranking number 24 on Inc. 5000's list of the fastest growing privately held businesses. Sassy Jones was also named by Forbes as a top brand that fr- thrived during the pandemic. Salute to That's Sassy Jones. Right. Sassy Jones. <laughs> well, a 25-year-old black engineer and inventor mm. from Kenya invents gloves that turn sign language into audible speech. Roy Ayala has found a solution to bridging the communication barrier between deaf and hearing people as he invented sign I.O. gloves that translate signed hand movements to audible speech so deaf people can talk to those who don't understand sign language. The gloves feature sensors on each finger to determine its movements and are connected via Bluetooth or an Android app that he, get it, also invented. We love to see it. The sign I.O. gloves are currently still in the prototype phase of development, but has already received awards and prize money, which helped him further improve the invention. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Well, ready for some more. I'm ready. Let's get it. So congrats are in order for Nicole Lynn, who's making history as the first black woman agent to represent an NFL quarterback in the Super Bowl. Man, listen, Lynn represents Philadelphia Eagles quarterback and cutie. Oh, my goodness. Look at him. Jalen Hurts. The (laughs) Eagles beat the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. And then later, Kansas City beat uh, the Bengals. The Eagles and the Chiefs are now headed to the Super Bowl to be played February 12th in Arizona. That's right. For the first time in NFL history, two black quarterbacks will be playing in hopes of leading their team to victory. NFL great Doug Williams Mm -hmm. and Russell Wilson, along with Patrick Mahomes, remain the three black quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl. And both of them are members of the Divine Nine, Q Sci-Fi and Delta Sigma Theta. So we're loving that. Congratulations. That is really great. Yeah. That's really great. And we love to see it. Congratulations to all of them. You know, and love the uh, the, the special gloves, the magic gloves. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelide Corte. Until next time, soulmates, you know what to do. Stay, Stay lifted. lifted.